chapter thirty three of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty three the fatal discovery there is great bustle and confusion in the house of mr bates mantua makers and milliners are coming in at unearthly hours and consultations of deep importance are being duly held with maiden aunts and the young ladies who are to officiate as bridesmaids at the approaching ceremony there are daily excursions to drapers establishments and jewellers and in fact so much to be done and thought of that little birdie is in constant confusion and her dear little curly head is almost turned topsy-turvy twenty times in each day she called upstairs to where the seamstresses are at work to have something tried on or fitted poor little birdie she declares she never can stand it she did not dream that to be married she would have been subjected to such a world of trouble or she would never have consented never and then clarence too comes in every morning and remains half the day teasing her to play to talk or sing inconsiderate clarence when she has so much on her mind and when at last he goes and she begins to facilitate herself that she is rid of him back he comes again in the evening and repeats the same annoyance oh naughty tiresome clarence how can you plague little birdie so perhaps you think she doesn't dislike it you may be right very likely she doesn't she sometimes wonders why he grows paler and thinner each day and his nervous and sometimes distracted manner teases her dreadfully but she supposes all lovers act thus and expects they cannot help it and then little birdie takes a sly peep in the glass and does not so much wonder after all yet if she sometimes deems his manner startling and odd what would she say if she knew that night after night when he left her side he wandered for long hours through the cold and dreary streets and then went to his hotel where he paced his room until almost day ah little birdie a smile will visit his pale face when you chirp tenderly to him and a faint tinge comes upon his cheek when you lay your soft tiny hand upon it yet all the while there is that desperate secret lying next his heart and like a vampire sucking away drop by drop happiness and peace not so with little birdie she is happy oh so happy she rises with a song upon her lips and is chirping in the sunshine she herself creates the livelong day flowers of innocence bloom and flourish in her peaceful lissome heart poor poor little birdie those flowers are destined to wither soon and the sunlight fade from thy happy face for ever one morning clarence little birdie and her intended bridesmaid miss elstow were chatting together when a card was handed to the latter who on looking at it exclaimed oh dear me an old beau of mine show him up and scampering off to the mirror she gave a hasty glance to see that every curl was in its effective position who is it asked little birdie all alive with curiosity do say who it is hush whispered miss elstow here he comes my dear he is very rich a great catch are my pearls all right 
scarcely had she asked the question and before an answer could be returned the servant announced mr george stevens and the gentleman walked into the room start not reader it is not the old man we left bent over the prostrate form of his unconscious daughter but george stevens jr the son and heir of the old man aforesaid the heart of clarence almost ceased to beat at the sound of that well-known name and had not both the ladies been so engrossed in observing the newcomer they must have noticed the deep flush that suffused his face and the deathly pallor that succeeded it mr stevens was presented to miss bates and miss elstow turned to present him to clarence mr gary mr stevens said she clarence bowed pardon me i did not gauge the name said the former politely mr clarence gary she repeated more distinctly george stevens bowed and then sitting down opposite clarence eyed him for a few moments intently i think we have met before said he at last in a cold contemptuous tone not unmingled with surprise have we not clarence endeavoured to answer but could not he was for a moment incapable of speech a slight gurgling noise was heard in his throat as he bowed affirmatively we were neighbours at one time i think added george stevens we were faintly ejaculated clarence it is a great surprise to me to meet you here pursued george stevens the surprise is mutual i assure you sir rejoined clarence coldly and with slightly agitated manner hereupon ensued an embarrassing pause in the conversation during which the ladies could not avoid observing the livid hue of clarence's face there was a perfect tumult raging in his breast he knew that now his long-treasured secret would be brought out this was to be the end of his struggle to preserve it to be exposed at last when on the brink of consummating his happiness as he sat there looking at george stevens he became a murderer in his heart and if an invisible dagger could have been placed in his hands he would have driven it through the hilt in his breast and still forever the tongue that was destined to betray him but it was too late one glance at the contemptuous malignant face of the son of his father's murderer told him his fate was sealed that it was now too late to avert exposure he grew faint dizzy ill and rising declared hurriedly he must go staggered towards the door and fell upon the carpet with a slight stream of blood spurting from his mouth little birdie screamed and ran to raise him george stevens and miss elstow gave their assistance and by their united efforts he was placed upon the sofa little birdie wiped the bloody foam from his mouth with her tiny lace handkerchief bathed his head and held cold water to his lips but consciousness was long returning and they thought he was dying poor torn heart pity it was thy beatings were not still then for ever it was not thy fate long long months of grief and despair were yet to come before the end approached and day again broke upon thee just at this crisis mr bates came in and was greatly shocked and alarmed by clarence's deathly appearance as he returned to the consciousness he looked wildly about him and clasping little birdie's hand in his gazed at her with a tender imploring countenance yet it was a despairing look such a one as a shipwrecked seaman gives when in sight of land he slowly relaxes his hold upon the sustaining spar that he has no longer the strength to clutch and sinks for ever beneath the waters a physician was brought in who declared he had ruptured a minor blood vessel and would not let him utter a whisper and assisted by mr bates placed him in his carriage and the three were driven as swiftly as possible to the hotel where clarence was staying 
little birdie retired to her room in great affliction followed by miss elstow and george stevens was left in the room alone what can the fellow have been doing here he soliloquized on intimate terms too apparently it is very singular i will wait miss elstow's return and ask an explanation when miss elstow re-entered the room he immediately inquired what was that mr geary doing here he seems on an exceedingly intimate footing and your friend apparently takes a wonderful interest in him of course she does that is her fiance impossible rejoined he with an air of astonishment impossible why so i assure you he is they are to be married in a few weeks i am here to officiate as bridesmaid few whistled george stevens and then after pausing a moment he asked do you know anything about this mr Gary? anything i mean respecting his family why no that is nothing very definite more than that he is an orphan and a gentleman of education and independent means humph ejaculated george stevens significantly humph repeated miss elster what do you mean do you know anything beyond that one might suppose you did from your significant looks and gestures yes i do know something about this mr gary he replied after a short silence but tell me what kind of people are these you are visiting abolitionists or anything of that sort how absurd mr stevens to ask such a question of course they are not said she indignantly do you suppose i should be here if they were but why do you ask is this mr gary one no my friend answered her visitor i wish that was all that was all how strangely you talk you alarm me continued she with considerable agitation if you know anything that will injure the happiness of my friend anything respecting mr geary that she or her father should know make no secret of it but disclose it to me at once anne is my dearest friend and i of course must be interested in anything that concerns her happiness tell me what is it you know it is nothing i assure you that it will give me any pleasure to tell answered he do speak out mr stevens is there any stain on his character or that of his family did he ever do anything dishonourable i wish that was all coolly repeated george stevens i am afraid he is a villain and has been imposing himself upon this family for what he is not good heavens mr stevens how is he a villain or impostor you all suppose him to be a white man do you not he asked of course we do she promptly answered then you are all grievously mistaken for he is not did you not notice how he changed colour how agitated he became when i was presented it was because he knew that his exposure was at hand i know him well in fact he is the illegitimate son of a deceased relative of mine by a mulatto slave it cannot be possible exclaimed miss elstow with a wild stare of astonishment are you sure of it sure of it of course i am i should indeed be a rash man to make such a terrible charge unless perfectly able to substantiate it i have played with him frequently when a child and my father made a very liberal provision for this young man and his sister after the death of their father who lost his life through imprudently living with this woman in philadelphia and consequently getting himself mixed up with these detestable abolitionists can this be true asked miss elstow incredulously i assure you it is we had quite lost sight of them for a few years back and i little supposed we should meet under such circumstances i fear i shall be the cause of great discomfort but i am sure in the end i shall be thanked i could not with any sense of honour or propriety permit such a thing as this marriage to be consummated 
without at least warning your friends of the real position of this fellow i trust miss elstow you will inform them of what i have told you how can i oh mr stevens said she in a tone of deep distress this will be a terrible blow it will almost kill anne no no the task must not devolve on me i cannot tell them poor little thing it will break her heart i am afraid oh but you must miss elstow it would seem very impertinent in me a stranger to meddle in such a matter and besides they may be aware of it and not thank me for my interference no i assure you they are not i am confident they have not the most distant idea of such a thing they would undoubtedly regard it as an act of kindness on your part i shall insist upon your remaining until the return of mr bates when i shall beg you to repeat to him what you have already revealed to me as you insist upon it i suppose i must repeated he after some reflection but i must say i do not like the office of informer concluded he with assumed reluctance i am sorry to impose it upon you yet rest assured they will thank you excuse me for a few moments i will go and see how anne is miss elstow returned after a short interval with the information that little bertie was much more composed and would no doubt soon recover from her fright to receive a worse blow observed george stevens i pity the poor little thing only to think of the disgrace of being engaged to a nigger it is fortunate for them they, they will make the discovery ere it be too late heavens only think what the consequences might have been had she married this fellow and his peculiar position became known to them afterwards she would have been completely done for thus conversing respecting clarence they awaited the return of mr bates after the lapse of a couple of hours he entered the drawing-room mr stevens was presented to him by miss elstow as a particular friend of herself and family i believe you were here when i came in before i regret i was obliged to leave so abruptly courteously spoke mr bates whilst bowing to his new acquaintance the sudden and alarming illness of my young friend will i trust be a sufficient apology how is he now asked miss elstow better much better answered he cheerfully but very wild and distracted in his manner alarmingly so in fact he clung to my hand and wrung it when we parted and bid me good-bye again and again as if it was for the last time poor fellow he is frightened at that hemorrhage and is afraid it will be fatal but there is not any danger he only requires to be kept quiet he will soon come round again no doubt i shall have to ask you to excuse me again said he in conclusion i must go and see my daughter mr bates was rising to depart when george stevens gave miss elstow a significant look who said in a hesitating tone mr bates one moment before you go my friend mr stevens has a communication to make to you respecting mr gary which will i fear cause you as it already has me deep distress indeed rejoined mr bates in a tone of surprise what is it nothing that reflects upon his character i hope i do not know how my information will influence your conduct towards him for i do not know where your sentiments may be respecting such persons i know society in general do not receive them and my surprise was very great to find him here i do not understand you what do you mean demanded mr bates in a tone of perplexity has he ever committed any crime he is a colored man answered george stevens briefly mr bates became almost purple and gasped for breath then after staring at his informant for a few seconds incredulously repeated the words colored man in a dreamy manner as if in doubt whether he had really heard them yes colored man said george stevens confidently it grieves me to be the medium of such disagreeable intelligence 
and i assure you i only undertook the office upon the representation of miss elstow that you were not aware of the fact and would regard my communication as an act of kindness it it can't be exclaimed mr bates with the air of a man determined not to be convinced of a disagreeable truth it cannot be possible hereupon george stevens related to him what he had recently told miss elstow respecting the parentage and position of clarence during the narration the old man became almost frantic with rage and sorrow bursting forth once or twice with the most violent exclamations and when george stevens concluded he rose and said in a husky voice i'll kill him the infernal hypocrite of the impostor to come to my house in this nefarious manner and steal the affections of my daughter the devilish villain a bastard a contemptible black-hearted nigger oh my child my child it will break your heart when you know what deep disgrace has come upon you i'll go to him added he his face flushed and his white hair almost erect with rage i'll murder him there's not a man in the city will blame me for it and he grasped his cane as though he would go at once and inflict some vengeance upon the offender stop sir don't be rash exclaimed george stevens i would not screen this fellow from the effects of your just and very natural indignation he is abundantly worthy of the severest punishment you can bestow but if you go in your present excited state you might be tempted to do something which would make this whole affair public and injure thereby your daughter's future you'll pardon me i trust and not think me presuming upon my short acquaintance in making the suggestion mr bates looked about him bewilderedly for a short time and then replied no no you need not apologize you are right i thank you i myself should have known better but my poor child what will become of her and in the agony of sorrow he resumed his seat and buried his face in his hands george stevens prepared to take his departure but mr bates pressed him to remain in a little while said he i shall be more composed and then i wish you to go with me to this worthless scoundrel i must see him at once and warn him what the consequences will be should he dare approach my child again don't fear me he added as he saw george stevens hesitated to remain that whirlwind of passion is over now i promise you i shall do nothing unworthy of myself or my child it was not long before they departed together for the hotel at which clarence was staying when they entered his room they found him in his bed with the miniature of little birdie in his hands when he observed the dark scowl on the face of mr bates and saw by whom he was accompanied he knew his secret was discovered he saw it was written on their faces he trembled like a leaf and his heart seemed like a lump of ice in his bosom mr bates was about to speak when clarence held up his hand in the attitude of one endeavouring to ward off a blow and whispered hoarsely don't tell me not yet a little longer i see you know all i see my sentence written on your face let me dream a little longer ere you speak the words that must for ever part me and little birdie i know you have come to separate us but don't tell me yet for when you do said he in an agonized tone it will kill me i wish to god it would rejoined mr bates i wish you had died long ago then you would have never come beneath my roof to destroy its peace for ever you have acted basely palming yourself upon us counterfeit as you were and taking in exchange her true love and my honest honourable regard clarence attempted to speak but mr bates glared at him and continued there are laws to punish thieves and counterfeits but such as you may go unchastised except by the abhorrence of all honourable men had you been unaware of your origin and had the revelation of this gentleman been as new to you as to me you would have deserved sympathy but you have been acting a lie claiming a position in society to which you knew you had no right 
and deserve execration and contempt did i treat you as my feelings dictated you would understand what it meant by the weight of a father's anger but i do not wish the world to know that my daughter has been wasting her affections upon a worthless nigger that is all that protects you now hear me he added fiercely if ever you presume to darken my door again or attempt to approach my daughter i will shoot you as sure as you sit there before me and serve you perfectly right observed george stevens silence sir rejoined clarence sternly how dare you interfere he may say what he likes reproach me as he pleases he is her father i have no other reply but if you dare again to utter a word i'll and clarence paused and looked about him as if in search of something with which to enforce silence feeble-looking as he was there was an air of determination about him which commanded acquiescence and george stevens did not venture upon another observation during the interview i want my daughter's letters every line she ever wrote to you get them at once i want them now said mr bates imperatively i cannot give them to you immediately they are not accessible at present does she want them he asked feebly has she desired to have them back never mind that said the old man sternly no evasions give me the letters to-morrow i will send them said clarence i will read them all over once again thought he i cannot believe you said mr bates i promise you upon my honour i will send them to-morrow a nigger's honour rejoined mr bates with a contemptuous sneer yes sir a nigger's honour repeated clarence the colour mounting to his pale cheeks a few drops of nigger blood in a man's veins do not entirely deprive him of noble sentiments tis true my past concealment does not argue in my favour i conceal that which was no fault of my own but what the injustice of society has made a crime i am not here for discussion and i suppose i must trust to your honour interrupted mr bates with a sneer but remember if the letters are not forthcoming to-morrow i shall be here again and then concluded he in a threatening tone my visit will not be as harmless as this has been after they had gone clarence rose and walked feebly to his desk which with great effort and risk he removed to the bedside then taking from it little birdie's letters he began their perusal i read them again and yet again pore over their contents dwell on those passages replete with tenderness until every word is stamped upon thy breaking heart linger by them as the weary traveller amid sahara's sand pauses by some sparkling fountain in a shady oasis tasting of its pure waters ere he launches forth again upon the arid waste beyond this is the last green spot upon thy way of death beyond whose grim portals let us believe thou and thy little birdie may meet again End of chapter thirty three